Okay, the book of James. Here we are. We're knee-deep in James now. We've got one more Sunday of James. And if you're thinking, this is not like a lot of other scriptures, you're exactly right. It's not driven by narrative. There's not lived experience that seems to be behind it of conflict or wishfulness or, um, you know, the kind of the passion of life based on story. It's not based on story. It's not even really based on history. When you think of the book of James, think Proverbs or think Ecclesiastes. Now, these, are, these are the types of scripture that sort of hang together in the Bible, and they're called wisdom literature. I think James comes at us from the vantage point of offering little bite-sized sermonettes for us. It's about a sentence long, and then it jumps to another topic. And maybe it has a, a third one, and it's related to the first two, but really, it's little... Um, truth in bite-sized servings. Okay, here we are, James chapter 3, and we're going to jump around just a bit, but that's okay. It'll be up on the jumbotron. Do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well. Live wisely. Live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourselves sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish plotting, Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at the other's throats. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced, You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what is yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of asking God for it, would you? You have not because you ask not. Some scriptures say, and why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. You're spoiled children, each wanting your own way. So let God work his will in you. Yell aloud, no, to the evil one, and watch him make himself scarce. Say a quiet yes to God, and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious. 
really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. Thanks be to God for this scripture. When the writer of Hebrews, let me jump over a couple of books. When the writer of Hebrews says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, it's an indication of the immense power of God and God's word to pierce our carefully placed defenses designed to protect us from knowing how truly broken we are, revealing how utterly human we are. These proverbial words from James are both diagnostic and prescriptive. It has a little of both to it. They are diagnostic in that they take a clinically honest look at the human heart. It helps us to know ourselves with a clarity that's startling. It unveils our motives, secret or otherwise. Then James offers us a way out of all that. James, the physician of the heart, writes out a prescription as a balm for our wounds, our scars, our brokenness, and offers us a treatment plan that leads us to a healthier way of living in the Christian community. Should we pay attention to James? Absolutely. Will it hurt to do so? Perhaps. Is it worth the risk? Only if you want to move beyond the chaos and the confusion of these days. You decide. How shall it be for you? How shall it be for all of us? Alexander Solzhenitsyn was Russia's best-known novelist and historian during the Cold War years. It seems like such a long time since the Cold War was, was active. Imprisoned for years, he produced a number of novels based on rural farm life in Russia and was awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1970. Although he was a famous and faithful Russian officer in World War II, he was imprisoned as a political dissident. You know what a dissident is, somebody who's not afraid to speak the truth in a moment of political anxiety. He was a dissident for offhandedly criticizing Joseph Stalin in a letter. Today, today that would have been an email or a TikTok or some other social media form of somebody letting something slip and it gets out there into the public eye. And while in prison, he wrote secretly of life in a Russian gulag, a prison, in clear, simple terms. It was an extraordinary book. It was in his writing that he turned the microscope of self-discovery on himself in the pitiful plight of a system that imprisoned men and women for their ideas, just for their thinking. Solzhenitsyn came to some startling conclusions that might help amplify our words from James. Here's what he wrote way back when. It was only when I lay there on rotting prison straw that I sensed within myself the first stirring of good. Gradually it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through human hearts. 
Our dilemma this morning is how to hear this text. That's the challenge. It's been my challenge to think about it in terms of presenting a sermon of preaching. But it is your challenge as well. What to do with this text? As the hearers, as the worshipers here, what are you going to do with this? Well, here's one, here's one way. Build a fence around your heart. Build a wall better. Do whatever you can to protect yourself. That is to hold your defenses up in front of you and dare God to pierce the defenses. I see this on occasion. Uh, I've seen it with colleagues who refuse to hear uh, some truthful thing that is happening, who refuse to be disclosing. One of the beauties of the the, uh, deacon meeting the other night that I mentioned earlier was the way in which two young adults risked rejection. They risked their, their protectedness, and they opened themselves up to the deacons of this church. And it was absolutely beautiful the way they did this. They were so clearly hoping that their humanity would show. We build a firewall around our hearts to close us from hearing God's message and consequently fail to see how it speaks to us personally. I think that's a common way of reading the Bible. Maybe it's the only thing we can do in the moment. We haven't learned yet to drop the defenses. We fence ourselves off from God's probing desire to heal us from our faults and our habits. We effectively put fingers in our ears to stop the Word of God from speaking to us. That's one approach. The other is to hear this text, the way to hear this text is to let go of our defenses and let it inform us about the honesty of our struggle, the honesty of being a human being with one another, the honesty of speaking truth with one another. I will let down my defenses and share with you of my struggles in the hopes that you will do the same and will have a very clear, warm, communal experience together. It is to allow the Holy Spirit of God the freedom to speak to us about how our inner world is in such a clash with our sense of direction and the ethics that we utilize in our lives. Obviously, there are two ways, two results that come from this. The first is characterized by chaos and anger and selfish ambition and confusion, a lack of communication with one another, a lack of trust. It's earthly. It's unspiritual. Envy and wickedness are evident, and bitterness and false truth and disorder, these are the signals that we've got our ears closed. And we protected ourselves from one another and from God. But the second result can also be gained. There's a natural result to our actions, to the model that we live. It is marked by purpose and peacefulness and by a gentleness that's willing to yield to the greater needs of others. It's full of mercy and puts forth the good fruits of the Spirit. Remember those? Litany, that list of wonderful, great things that are signs that the Spirit is at work. There's no partiality. There's no hypocrisy. Finally, it results in a harvest of righteousness sown 
in peace for those who make peace. A writer that you may not know is Forrester Church. He is the son of the Senator Church from Idaho. And he's a Unitarian, or he was. He died a few years ago. A Unitarian minister for a long, long time in Manhattan at the All Souls Unitarian Church. And he understood something about this dilemma, this struggle that we go through. He says, the final war will not be a war between the children of light and the children of darkness. It will be what it has always been, a war within the children of life, between the powers of light and darkness that dwell within each of us. Until the powers of light begin to prevail in our own lives, the world will not be safe from us. And we shall not be safe from one another or even ourselves. That's the contrast. James is leading us in a way to think about these qualities, these characteristics that we should be thinking about if we're to be followers of Christ. There are two sets of responses, and thus two communities can be built. And which, which community are we? Perhaps we should let the words of James create a world that we can dream of and work to make it happen with a label that I've given the church we've always dreamed of. That possibility is always there with us, that we are continually making and remaking and remaking again the church as we go along with the way in which we live with one another. What do you think has characterized us most this past year? Well, I think and I, I don't mean this in a personal way because I would suggest this to almost any church. Characterized by chaos and some confusion, what will we do? How will we respond? Will we even be here in the room together? In what way will we relate to one another? We've experienced a world of grief this past year and a loss for ourselves, and it's time now to set a new course. So listen to what James has to say. First, he tells us to go back to the basics. Submit yourselves to God. That's the starting point. Second, he implores us to resist the evil one. Third, he says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. And lastly, James reminds us to cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. We're warned in these words that the challenge of being a dynamic, healing, healthy community is a challenge that's only possible when we set our hearts and our minds on Christ. If we're to create that church that we've always dreamed about, we must do everything that we can do to be healthy and whole. And when we do that, we'll see all the possibilities that exist right here in our midst both inside this church and outside the church in the community at large and in the world that we, we have relationships with. One of my favorite stories about seeing the goodness in others is the story of Harper Lee, the novelist in the 1950s and 60s who wrote um, about the Mockingbird, To Kill a Mockingbird. Millions of copies have been sold. Bunches of us read this in school. It was, it was such a shattering novel in its simplicity. 
And she reached a turning point in her early writing life when as a young struggling writer living in New York, she desperately wanted to write. And she had moved to perhaps the most invigorating creative place on the planet. After several years of working for an airline, can you imagine that? Harper Lee working on an airline and trying to write in her spare time. She spent Christmas Eve with a family with whom she had grown close in the past year. And they wanted her to share in the evening with them and to spend the night at their house because of their two young boys. They wanted her to be a part of their family. And after the boys had opened all their gifts on Christmas morning, the father said to Harper, we didn't forget you. Look on the tree. And sure enough, there was an envelope on it. It had her name written on it. And there it was in a simple note that read, you have one year off from your job to write whatever you please. Merry Christmas. Dumbfounded, she asked the obvious, what does this mean? What it says, the mom and the dad said to her. They assured her it was not some sort of a cruel joke. They had had a good year. They saved some money and they thought it was high time they did something about her. Wouldn't you love that to be said about you, to do something about you? What do you mean, do something about me, she asked. They said it was plain to anyone who would know her if they would stop to look. They wanted to show their faith in her in the best way they knew how. Whether she ever sold a line or not was immaterial. They wanted to give her a full, fair chance to learn her craft, free from the harassments of a regular job. There were no strings attached. Then they asked her if she would accept their gift with their love. It took her some time to find her voice, don't you know? It's a fantastic gamble, she said. It's such a great risk. No, honey, it's not. It's not a risk at all. It's a sure thing, the man replied confidently. You see, we never know about the possibilities that are buried deep within us unless we're first willing to look deep into the hearts of all those around us and trust that God is doing something immeasurable with us beyond our wildest hopes and dreams. And when we do that, we will think of one another in holy ways and we'll set those dreams free. We'll do what needs to be done in order for those dreams to come alive and to flourish and to become the reality that God wants to set loose in the world. You see, Jesus wants to build a church that sees the possibilities in one another. Anyway, that's the church I've always wanted. How about you? Amen.